millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Deconstructed. I'm Ryan Grimm. Imran Khan became Pakistan's prime minister through a most unusual route. For decades, he was the nation's most famous cricketer before transitioning into the world of philanthropy, building hospitals and supporting universities. From there, he moved into politics, founding a party, the PTI, and sweeping into power in 2018. But he had a slim majority and was ousted in a no-confidence vote by 2022. Since then, he and his party have been the target of a relentless crackdown by the nation's military, which has ruled the country directly or indirectly for decades. He's my guest today on Deconstructed. Our earlier attempt to schedule an interview was foiled when he was arrested on May 9th by the military and held for four days before the Supreme Court ruled his detention illegal. Protests had erupted nationwide, some turning violent, and the military establishment has responded by arresting most of Khan's senior leadership and forcing them to resign publicly from the party under pressure. Thousands of rank-and-file party workers have also been jailed. Khan, meanwhile, is holed up in his home in Lahore, sifting through some 150 charges of corruption and other offenses that have been leveled at him, charges that he and his supporters dismiss as politically motivated. Yet Khan remains a popular political figure heading into elections that are scheduled for October. He joined me Sunday night to discuss his career, the political crisis facing Pakistan, and his diminishing hope for a negotiated resolution. The internet connection wasn't perfect, but it was a fascinating and wide-ranging conversation. A video of the interview will air this week on the show I co-host, Counterpoints. You can find a transcript over at theintercept.com. Welcome, Chairman Khan. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Wonderful. Thank you for joining me. Now, since you left office, you've been the target of an assassination attempt and a nationwide crackdown on your party, the PTI. Last month, while sitting in a courtroom, you were hauled out and jailed by the military. For American viewers who haven't been following this closely, can you tell us what happened that day and what led up to it? Well, to the high court to get bail. Now, remember, there are 150 cases against me in the court to the other. So I had gone there to get bail. And before leaving my house, I had recorded a video message saying that, if look, if there is, if you want to arrest me, just bring a warrant and then take me. There was a huge problem, uh, 12th of March, there was a 24-hour attack on my house, uh, which was illegal because all I had to do was give an surety bond that I would appear in court and they couldn't arrest me. But they refused to take the bond and they kept, you know, attacking my house and it was an awful situation. A lot of people got injured, a lot of our workers got injured trying to uh, stop them from abducting me. So before leaving for Islamabad, I gave a statement that don't do this again. I mean, it was a commando action. They beat up everyone in the, in, who was in, in, the, in that uh, registry office in the high court. My uh, head on the head, bleeding. And then I was taken, uh, you know, uh, by all these uh, commandos, really. They were, they were supposed to be rangers, but they, were, they looked really uh, scary. And then I was taken in jail. The reaction was always going to be against the military. 
And later on, the Supreme Court ruled that it was unlawful. So uh, there was this uh, reaction in the streets. Uh, and in, as a result of that reaction, this crackdown has taken place where over 10,000 of my workers are already in jail. Anyone to do with my party is, is picked up on a daily basis. And the rest of the party is in hiding. The entire senior leadership is in jail. The only way they can get out of jail is if they say that they, they're leaving my party. And so a few of the senior party, because they couldn't take the pressure. The Intercept recently reported that the military has ordered news outlets across the country not to cover you at all. How effective has that ban been? Have you heard directly from the media about those orders? What's the effect been on Pakistan public opinion? Well, the ban was, you know, ever since I was ousted uh, from power and the then army chief admitted afterwards that it was him who thought I was dangerous for the country. He um, engineered that conspiracy to get me out. So um, since then, there was already, uh, I was, most TV channels weren't allowed to show me. And there were a couple of, couple of channels that would show me. And as a result, their ratings went very high. So about three, four months back, they went after those two channels. They shot one of them. They put the head, the head of the channel in jail, uh, this channel called Bowl. The chief executive was put into jail. Uh, the channel then stopped showing me and both the channels which were showing me, they stopped showing me no live coverage at all. This went to another level. Now, my name is not allowed to be mentioned on television, on any electronic media or print media. And in the aftermath of your ouster, you suggested that the United States likely played some role in your removal or approved it. But you seem to have kind of downplayed that suggestion since then. Why is that? And what do you th- what do you think was the primary driver of your removal? You see, on the 6th of March, 22, there was a meeting between the Pakistani ambassador and the America, the U.S. Undersecretary of State, Don Lu. And in that meeting, the meeting was recorded and a cipher, you know, was sent to, to the foreign office and me. In the cipher, it said that Donald Lu telling the ambassador that Imran Khan had to be removed as a prime minister in the vote of no confidence. Otherwise, there would be consequences for Pakistan. The next day, 7th of March, was the vote of no confidence. So at the time, I thought it was really a U.S.-led conspiracy. Already the, the U.S. embassy in Pakistan was meeting those people who then defected from my party. So the, the, the U.S. embassy was already meeting these people, the ones who jumped ship the first. And then the moment the vote of no confidence came, then there were about 20 people who deserted my party and the government fell. At the time, I thought it was U.S.-led. Later on, I discovered that it was the army chief who actually fed the U.S. He had a lobbyist in the U.S. called Hussain Akani, hired by my government without me knowing it, who was actually telling the U.S. that I, Imran Khan, was anti-American. And actually, the army chief was pro-American. So later on, we discovered that it was an, it was actually engineered from here because I had a perfectly good relationship with the Trump administration. So I couldn't work out what had gone wrong. But then we discovered that it was the army chief who who actually engineered this uh, feeling that I was anti-American in the U.S. And what do you think did go wrong? If, If you could go back to 2018 and give yourself a few pieces of advice just after your election, 
what would you tell yourself to do differently or nothing? I would have gone back to the, to the public. And if I had not got a big mandate, you cannot make reforms and I would not have taken government because what subsequently turned out was I just could not uh, bring the powerful under the law. And the powerful mafias that control that controlled Pakistan for so many years, I did not have the strength and they would undermine me. They would weaken my party. They would uh, approach uh, my party members. So I was always uh, trying to keep my government together. And so that's where the biggest mistake. And then I became over-reliant on the army, on the army chief, because the ar army is the most organized institution in Pakistan and is entrenched. I mean, it's ruled directly or indirectly for more than almost 70 years. So I became more reliant on them, on the army chief. And the army chief was not interested in rule of law. He was not in the powerful making money and siphoning on money laundering out of the country. And so, so I failed. So that's how, what I've done differently. You were criticized during your tenure as prime minister for cracking down on dissent and for suppression of free speech. As, as you look at what's now yes. happening to you, do you feel differently about the way that you approach uh, dissent? Now, talking about the media, you cannot compare what is going on right now. I mean, you just have to look back. Our government was criticized by the media more than any other government. We didn't even have a honeymoon. And it's because the powerful media also is in the hands of the powerful, the vested interest who did not want to change. So the moment I would go for change, they would attack me. So firstly, the media was completely free. I mean, there was you, what is happening now. You can't compare. I mean, they're mm -hmm. shutting down media houses. One of our best investigative journalists was uh, hounded out of Pakistan and then assassinated in Kenya. Today, the second best in investigative journalist now disappeared for 17 days. No one knows where he is. And then the, some of the top uh, anchors or journalists would disappear and be mistreated and then beaten up. So, I mean, this sort of thing has never happened in my time. And now, of course, there's total censorship. We are back to the days of uh, military dictatorship. But Musharraf's dictatorship compared to what's going on right now. And is there anything concrete you would urge uh, the Biden administration or the United States to do to defend democracy now in, in Pakistan? Well, you know, what I do think that the Biden administration must speak out of what are the professed uh, Western values as democracy, constitutionalism, rule of law, uh, custodial torture is, is banned everywhere, which is going on in Pakistan right now as I speak. My people have been, are subject to torture. Our senator was tortured. Um, one of my 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 staff, he was picked up and tortured. So, so speak out against custodial torture, but most of all, fundamental rights. There is torture of fundamental rights going on right now. So that's all we expect. That you know, U.S. being uh, you know the guardian of Western values. This all they should just speak out about what their professed values are. The same things when they say when they talk about China and when they talk about Russia, what's happening in Hong Kong. I mean, much worse is happening right now in Pakistan. And how were you treated during your detention? I was four days. I, I wasn't mistreated. I was just uh, completely shut off from what was going on. I didn't even know what was happening. All the street protests and and the 
few buildings that that uh, there was arson in these buildings. I knew nothing about it until I was produced in front of the Supreme Court. So, uh, but I wasn't mistreated. I mean, I was mistreated when I the way I was uh, picked up and then taken into custody in that time. But once I was there, no, there was no mistreatment. And were you interrogated? Were there any any threats, direct or veiled, uh, made about your your future role in Pakistani politics? You know, this country knows me for fifty years. I mean, for twenty years, I was I was a leading sportsman in this country, and cricket is the biggest sport. And I was captain for ten years, so I was in the media for a long time. And then I went into philanthropy and built the the biggest charitable institution, which are cancer hospitals, and then a university. So people know me for a long time. They know that I'm I'm not going to back down. But what they're doing is, you know, I mean, they have clearly stated to me the establishment that whatever happens, you are not going to be allowed to get back into power. So what they are doing now is that they are they are dismantling the party, but dismantling the biggest political party, the only federal party in Pakistan, is dismantling our democracy. And actually, that's what's going on. All the democratic institutions, the judiciary. I mean, the judiciary today is totally impotent in stopping this violation of fundamental rights. We went to the Supreme Court. According to the Constitution, the elections in Punjab, the biggest province, which is 60% of Pakistan, was supposed to be held on the 14th of May. The government refused. So, I mean, even the Supreme Court orders are, are not listened to. The, the judges give, uh, give people bail there. The police picks them up on some other cases. So this total violation of fundamental rights, which is going on, I think this is, it's all an attempt to weaken me and my party to the point that we will not know, not be able to contest the elections because all the opinion polls show that we will win a massive majority in elections. Out of the 37 by-elections, my party has swept 30 of them, despite the establishment helping the, the, the government parties. So therefore, they know that in a free and fair election, we will just sweep. Hence, all these efforts are being made to completely dismantle my party and weaken it to the point that it will not be able to contest elections. And this is a dark moment for your country, uh, for your party, as you said, for you yourself personally. But I'm curious, what are you looking forward to? In, in a best case scenario, what's the path out of this crisis? It's like a crossroads. One road is leading back to the bad old days of military dictatorship. Because that means, you know, we will regress. The whole movement for democracy, which gradually evolved over a period of time, our media really struggled valiantly for their freedom. And we had one of the freest medias. Uh, and then our, our, our judiciary was always subservient to the executive. But in 2007, started a movement called the Lawyers Movement. And for the first time, we, the judiciary asserted independence. So the, the whole pillars of democracy now are, are, are uh, being rolled back. The whole evolution, this... The steady move towards a democratic country is now all at stake. So either we allow this to go where it is going towards a, 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 a military dictatorship. The other is, you know, we all try and all the democratic forces get together and strive for getting back to rule of law, democracy and free and fair elections. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if you've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. With Mint Mobile, you get great wireless service at a fraction of the cost of other providers. Say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills and unexpected overages. All plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash deconstructed. That's mintmobile.com slash deconstructed. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash deconstructed. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. As you confront uh, this potential long-term military dictatorship, how does it make you think back on your own uh, support of the military in the coup of Pervez Musharraf or or having the military's indirect support in your own election? Do you feel like there was a way to accomplish that without the military or is Pakistan in a situation that that reform is only possible through that institution? Well, you know, just to uh, make a correction, Okay. Mine is the only party that was never manufactured by the military. People's Party, Zulfikar Ali Bhutto, he served a dictator for eight years before he formed his party. The second party is PMLN. The head of PMLN was actually nurtured by General Zia's dictatorship. I mean, he was a non-entity, so he was actually a product of his military dictatorship. Mine is the only party for 22 years from scratch I started and actually broke through a two-party system. In the 2018 election, the army didn't oppose me, but they didn't help us in winning the elections. The elections weren't rigged because it should be now obvious. Now, despite the the army, the the establishment standing behind this government, we've swept 30 out of 37 by-elections. And 
All opinion polls show that we are way ahead of everyone, almost 60 to 70% rating. And, and the other thing I want to say is, how is it different? When Ayub Khan, the first military dictator, took over, the majority of the population backed him. Because at that time, we were very insecure and the army was the bastion of security. When Ziaul Haq uh, deposed Zulfiqar Ali Bhutto, uh, the second military dictator, half the population supported him. Half the vote was for Bhutto, but half the vote went against him. When General Musharraf wound up our democracy in 1999, he had 80% rating in Pakistan because he came on an anti-corruption platform. But this is a unique time in Pakistan. The almost the entire country is standing now for democracy. There are no takers for military dictatorship anymore. So it's a unique situation because we, our mm. thought process has evolved to the point now where there's a consensus in Pakistan that a bad democracy is better than a military dictatorship. It feels like the military may see this crisis and this conflict as existential for them, that given what you've said, that the country, the po population has now turned against them. If they lose power, they may be pushed off the stage entirely. And so cornered, that may explain some of the reaction uh, that you're seeing. So how do you how do you navigate uh, that situation where they currently have you literally and and politically surrounded? But if you escape, they face an existential crisis. Well, you see, when I was in three and a half years in power, I mean, I recognize that, you know, you can't wish away the military. You know, you have to work with them because they've been entrenched for 70 years, directly or indirectly, they've ruled this country. So I worked with the army chief. And apart from the fact that he would not, he did not understand what rule of law meant or didn't want to understand, Apart from that, we sort of, you know, we had a working relationship. When and why he decided to pull the rug under my feet, I still don't know. I mean, at what point he decided that this is, you know, I was dangerous to the country. But in the last six months, he conspired to get rid of me. Why he, he decided to change horses? Because he backed the current prime minister who was facing massive corruption cases. And so why he decided to do that, I think my hunch is that he wanted an extension and, and, the, and the, the, the current prime minister had promised him that. I guess that's the reason. But um, really, he's the best. he would know why. I don't know why. So my point is, the way Pakistan has been run, a hybrid system, it just cannot be run like this anymore. We are now facing the worst economic crisis in our history. And my point is that, you know, when I've said, I've, I've offered talks to the, to the military, I've said, look, to the army chief, but so far, uh, there's no response. My point is that the hybrid system cannot work any longer. Because if a prime minister has the public mandate and the responsibility to deliver, he must have the authority. He can't have a situation where he has the re responsibility but the authority, most of the authority lies uh, with the military establishment. So a new equilibrium has to be made. You have to have some sort of an arrangement where, you know, certain issues just have to be delivered in Pakistan. You, Pakistan cannot do without rule of law now because we cannot 
get out of this economic mess unless we attract uh, investment. But investment from abroad does, just does not come to a country where people do not have confidence in their justice system and the legal system and their contract enforcement. And therefore, they go, Pakistani go and invest in Dubai and in other countries. But they don't invest in this country. We have, we have 10 million Pakistanis. If we could only get 5% of them investing in this country, we wouldn't have any problems. But they, they do not have faith in our justice system. We are out of the 140 countries in, in the rule of law index. Pakistan is 129th. So with that sort of uh, a lack of rule of law, I'm afraid the country's survival is at stake. So hence, a new equilibrium has to be made with the military establishment. And the final question, I, I know you said that you believe that the driver of your ouster was, was clearly internal and not driven from out, outside. But I'm also curious, given that the U.S. expressed its private approval for, for you to be pushed out of office through a no-confidence vote, I'm wondering what it was that you think uh, drove the United States to that position? Do you think it had something to do uh, with your willingness to work with the Taliban after the Taliban took over? Do you think it had something to do with the, the war in Ukraine? Or what, it, what is your read of the geopolitics that would have led the United States uh, to go from supportive to willing to see you thrown out? For a start, you know, the war Trump administration acknowledged that I was the one who consistently kept saying there was not going to be a military solution in Afghanistan. It's because I know Afghanistan, I know the history and uh, the, uh, the province, the Pashtun province. Remember, Afghanistan has 50% Pashtuns, but the Pashtun population is twice as much in Pakistan. And my province, where, where I first got into power, is, is the Pashtun province bordering Afghanistan. So I kept saying there would not be any military solution. Trump administration acknowledged it. And they finally, when, when he decided to the withdrawal, he understood that there was not going to be a military solution. But I think this was taken wrong by the Biden administration. They somehow thought I was critical of the Americans and I was uh, uh, so, sort of pro-Taliban. It's total nonsense. It's just simply that anyone who knows the history of Afghanistan just knows that you will, they, they have a problem with outsiders. So the same happened with the British in the 19th century the Soviets in the 20th century, exactly the same was happening with the U.S. But it, it's just that no one knew that. And so I think that was one reason. Secondly, I was anti the war on terror in Pakistan. Because remember, Pakistan, Pakistan, first of all, in the 80s, created the Mujahideen. Mujahideen who were conducting a, a guerrilla warfare against the Soviets. So it was from Pakistani soil. And we... We told them that doing jihad, jihad means fighting foreign occupation, is uh, your heroes. It is, a, you know, we encouraged it. Now come 10 years later, once the Soviets had left, the U.S. lands in Afghanistan. So I kept saying that, look, let's stay neutral. The same people who all the groups you have told and all along a border belt with Afghanistan, the Pashtuns, you're told that this was, uh, this was heroism to fight foreign occupation. How are you going to tell them that now that the Americans are there, it's terrorism? So that's what happened. The moment we joined the U.S. war on terror, they turned against us. 80,000 Pakistanis died in it. I mean, Pakistan, no ally of U.S. has taken such heavy casualties as Pakistan did. And in the end, we couldn't help the U.S. either. 
because we were trying to save ourselves. There were 40 different militant groups at one point uh, working against the government. Islamabad was like under siege. There were suicide attacks everywhere. So all investment dried up in Pakistan. We had no investment coming in the country. Well, our economy tanked. So I think my opposition to the war on terror also was perceived as being anti-American, which is not. It's just being nationalistic about your own country. And with Taliban, I mean, when the Taliban took over, frankly, whichever government is in Afghanistan, Pakistan has to have good relationship with them. We have a two and a half thousand kilometer border with them. We have three million Afghan refugees here. And when the Ghani government, before that, I went to Afghanistan, uh, Kabul to meet him. I invited him to Pakistan. We tried our best to have good relationship with them. So whoever is in power in Afghanistan, Pakistan has to have good relationship because at one point during the previous government, there were three different terrorist groups using Afghan territory to attack Pakistan, the ISIL, Pakistani Taliban and the Baloch uh, Libera Liberation Organization. Three different groups were attacking us. So therefore, you need a government in Afghanistan, which which would be helpful. So it was not pro-Taliban. It's basically pro-Pakistan as any anyone who cares about his country would would make those decisions. I know I said that was the last question, but I wanted to give the last word to you because every, every one of these interviews that you do now uh, with the posture of the military towards you, you know, could be your last before an arrest or even worse. And so given, given that, is there any message that brought broadly that you'd like to share either with the United States or with the world? Well, uh, you're right. I mean, there've been not one, two assassination attempts on me. And a third one, which I preempted, uh, luckily. And then, you know, there are 150 cases against me, although most of them are bogus cases. But now they've started military courts. And the military courts is just because the, the, the normal judiciary just gives me bail because of the frivolous cases. Now, I think they will try and be in a military court to jail me uh, so that I'm out of the way. But the point is, it is not good for not just the region around Pakistan, not just for Pakistan, but I think a country of 250 million people, it is very important that there's stability here. Stability is only going to come through free and fair elections because only a stable government with a public mandate then can start making the difficult decisions, reforms, structural changes to actually get Pakistan back on the track. Any uh, weak government which does not have the support of the people is going to struggle. So the need for Pakistan to be stable is free and fair elections, democracy, rule of law, constitutionalism. That's the road for Pakistan towards stability. And where we are headed right now is exactly the opposite. And what the world can do is, and the Western world, speak about the values that are preached by them. And which is exactly what, what we are trying to do is, which is democracy and rule of law and, and fundamental rights, human rights. So everything is being violated right now. And while I, I think no other country can fix a country from within, it's only we can fix the country from within, but they can speak out of the violations that are going on in this country of the West. So the, the, what the West 
professes to be their values. Well, Prime Minister Khan, thank you so much for taking some time this evening. I very much appreciate it. Thank you. My pleasure, Ryan. Thank you. That was former Prime Minister Imran Khan, and that's our show. I reached out to the State Department for comment, and a spokesperson there said this, quote, Our message has been clear and consistent on this. We support the peaceful upholding of constitutional and democratic principles, including respect for human rights. We do not support, whether it's in Pakistan or anywhere else around the world, one political party over another. We support broader principles, including the rule of law and equal justice under the law, unquote. Khan, in the interview, as you heard, also speculated that the U.S. had turned on him because of his skepticism of the global war on terror and due to a misperception that he had aligned Pakistan with the Taliban. The spokesperson said, quote, On the war on terror and the Taliban, the United States and Pakistan have a shared interest in ensuring the Taliban live up to the commitments that they have made, that terrorist groups that may be active in Afghanistan are no longer able to threaten regional stability, unquote. Former Ambassador Haqqani reached for comment, told me Khan's allegation against him is false and that he has sent him a cease and desist urging him to stop making the claim. Deconstructed is a production of The Intercept. Our producer is Jose Olivares. Our supervising producer is Laura Flynn. The show is mixed by William Stanton. Our theme music was composed by Bart Warshaw. Roger Hodge is The Intercept's editor-in-chief. And I'm Ryan Grimm, D.C. Bureau Chief of The Intercept. If you'd like to support our work, go to theintercept.com give. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the show so you can hear it every week. And please go and leave us a rating or a review. It helps people find the show. If you want to give us additional feedback, email us at podcast at theintercept.com or at ryan.grimm at theintercept.com. Thanks so much, and I'll see you soon.